Did you know in the book of John, uh, John talks about knowing God 141 times. And out of the 141 times, there's four different types of knowing that he talks about. The first level of knowing that John talks about, he talks about um, knowing information. So it's like the lowest level of knowing is when you know a fact. The second level of knowing, he talks about you know a fact and then you walk into the understanding of the fact. So I understand how to apply the fact. The third level of knowing that John steps into after that is this, is this passage where in John 17, 3, he says this is eternal life or this is the forever life. That they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Another time that's used in Genesis 4, it talks about that husband and wife, the man and woman knew each other. So they became one, like they had a deep relationship where they began to trust each other. They join in unity. But there's a fourth level of knowing that John talks about in John 14. This speaks of like a deep communion knowing. Like to know every thought, to know every action. Me and my wife, we could still have a relationship, but what would it look like if I only talked to her once a week? I still trust who she is, but I I don't know the intimate thoughts of her mind because I don't spend the rhythm of time with her. And so part of what deep communion is dependent upon is time. It takes time to have deep communion, deep understanding, deep knowing. It's the same thing that Paul's talking about in Philippians, uh, in Philippians 3.10. He says, that I might know him. Like it is Paul's deepest desire. I want to I know every thought of God. I want to know every step of him. And not only do I want to know, I want it to become a part of me. I want it to actually transfer. I want it to be me. And it's this idea that as God moves in one motion, communion is the same idea. I move in the same motion as God. Like I'm doing the same exact thing. That's what communion looks like. And as we start the year 2020, I believe it's the year where we we experience a deeper level of knowing God. One of the ways that I want to press into that together is is through this. On your way out today, I want you to grab one of these. I want you to consider doing this with us. 21 days of prayer and fasting, and we want to start on the 12th. That's next Sunday. Y'all, last year we started this. Um, It's it's life-transforming. It was life-transforming for me. Just a time that truly revealed me to myself, and I truly stepped in to understand God a little bit better. I'm not even like the tip of the iceberg with God, but I'm, I, I got a glimpse of who he was and a glimpse of who I am, and it, and it gave me a greater appreciation for worship. And so I want to encourage you, would you consider, would you consider stepping into this? And maybe you're brand new to, to this walk of faith and you're like, I don't know, I'm just new to this. I want to encourage you. I just believe if you're here, God wants to actually meet with you. I don't believe that he wants you to observe what he's doing. I believe that he actually wants you to commune with him and he wants you to know him. He wants to walk with you intimately. And if that freaks you out, it kind of freaks me out too. I understand. But I promise you, once we discover who he is more and more, you'll find out that he's better than you thought. And I just want to invite you into that process. In this book, as you open it up, it's got a letter to you. So it helps you understand, here's what this is. There's no pressure in it. And the second part is a, is a book of instructions, so just a page of instructions. And it helps you understand, hey, here's what we're going after. 
And here's the fast that we invite you into. We're not inviting you into a specific kind of fast, but one that you spend time with the Lord and discern what maybe you need to press out of for a minute, just so that you can, maybe it's one of your, for me, it's sugar. I love Coke. Love it. I would drink it all day if I could. You know, I just love it. I don't know why. I love Cokes. And so last year, my, my, my fast, if I could bring you in, just help you understand a little bit, was I, I fasted from all sugar and the delicacy. So I love fast food and Coke. <laughs> Inside this little body is a giant person. <laughs> and uh, I should be 400 pounds, I promise you. But I pressed out of that like my favorite things and I found that I craved them so much more than I thought. It was like an impulse. When I wanted it, I would just get it. I wouldn't think about it. And so when my impulse came, instead of going to the thing, I would run to this thing that fixed the impulse. I had to choose to run to a different thing. I found that the different thing actually filled the impulse that I had in a much greater depth. And some of you believe that you need something in your life so desperately it's won you over. I mean, you're sure that your life could not exist without this one thing. And when you press out of it and you press into uh, the goodness of God, you'll find that he's better than the thing that maybe you've been pressing into. It's the self-discovery. And I just want to invite you into it. And I promise you, if you do this with us at a consistent basis, um, your life won't be the same. I promise you. And so for 21 days, I want you to take this. I want you to consider what that, what that looks for, for in your life. Last week, uh, you got one of these two, hopefully, if we had enough. Um, there were three things that we as a church are praying for as we start 2020. And it comes from thir- First Thessalonians. The first thing is, how do I need to trust you today? This is what we're going to ask God. How, how do I need to trust you today? And the second thing is, who needs your love today? And the third thing is, teach me more about the hope that I have in you. I want you to put this somewhere where you can see it. And uh, I, I, if you struggle with the rhythm of spending time with the Lord, I'm I telling everybody, put it on your mirror uh, when you're brushing your teeth. And so like you and guys, you're brushing your teeth and you can just mumble that to the God, you know. But invite him into your day and then watch. I promise, watch, watch, watch. As you step into communion with God, watch what he does. And I promise you will be blown away at the goodness of God and how maybe some of us feel it's so hard to connect to God. We'll find that maybe potentially he's actually already near and he's been inviting you all along. Those three prayer points come from what we talked about last week, and I want to press even further into what we talked about last week. Last week, we talked about 1 Thessalonians, and I want to bring you into the book a little bit. 1 Thessalonians, Paul writes to the church of Thessalonica. It's an, it's an area of Greece, and what's happening in this church, um, Paul had showed up years before, preached the good news about Jesus, and many people believed but they believed in these harsh circumstances and against and in the midst of people who really despised Jesus. They had their own form of worship set up. And so this idea of a king uh, was disrupting their idea of their religion or what they were a part of. It was disrupting everything. It was turning their world upside down. So they didn't appreciate it. So the gospel was met with uh, a lot of animosity and a lot of fighting. And so Paul's writing years later this letter to these people that had received Jesus and begun to not just receive the facts, but to step into the experience. They began to commune with God. And when they began to commune with God, they saw God's move throughout the region. 
I want to bring you back into the chapter one, verses two and three, and then verse eight. Paul says, we give thanks to God for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith. So I'm recognizing you're putting your faith into practice and how you're living life. You're working. Your labor of love and your steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. So he recognizes them for three things. One, your work of faith your labor of love, and your steadfastness of hope. Verse 8 says, For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. This is what happens when we begin to commune with God. Our actions start reflecting God. And when our actions start reflecting God, I promise you, the world can't stay the same because they go, What is this? It's not natural. We're called into the supernatural life. And the supernatural, sometimes we think of it as this like mysterious orb of power. And I believe that the gospel is power. But when we receive the good news and we understand the truth, it sets us free. And when the truth sets us free, it moves us to begin acting a little bit different. It gives you freedom to be different. Did you know you got freedom to be different? You got freedom. But many of us, we got to get to understanding what is this freedom and actually receiving it. Many of us don't know the truth, so we don't know how free that we actually are. So we just live in like we see in, you know. But I want to invite you into a deeper level of understanding what God has called you into. So today, I want to look at what the scriptures talks about work. I want to, I want to dive into the first thing uh, that Paul is recognizing in the church of Thessalonica. He's saying, your work of faith, I recognize this. What is this work of faith? What's the scripture talk about is God's original intent for work? In order to understand that, we have to go back to the very beginning. In the first two chapters of the book, God talks about um, work. You'll find actually God's example of work. Have you ever thought about that God actually shows us uh, the first example of work himself? The scripture talks about that he's in this space and he is it says he plants a garden. Don't know what that means. I don't know how. But you find him planting a garden and it says he causes things to grow. And right after that, it says that he gets into the dirt that he creates and he forms man. So you'll see him with his hands in the mud. God himself. And he's forming, he's chiseling us, the form of man. And he breathes life into man. This is the example of work that he shows us from the beginning. Then he tells man, this guy that he created, hey, go around and name the animals. You ever thought about that? What's he talking about? Like, name the, what do you think? God couldn't just go around and be like, well, that's a that and that's a that. He needs us. He needs our help for that, right? That's not exactly what that verse is actually talking about. So that verse is actually talking about when a name is given, a purpose is given. And so what he tasked man to do was to go around the garden. When he's naming the animals, he's going, you will be purposed for this, and you will be purposed for this, and you will be purposed for this. That's why right after that verse, he talks about, but there was not a helper for him. There was no one purposed to actually walk with Adam. There was no suitable animal purpose for him. So God saw that it wasn't yet finished. And so what's he do? He creates woman. And then he gives them 
a task together. Let's understand God's original design or the task that he gave man and woman. Chapter 1, verse 28, he says, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue. I like that word because the word subdue is to bring order for the benefit. So he tasked them to multiply, to fill it up, make more. That's fun. Make more people. Now, once we make more people, task them to bring order. Your work purpose, bring order. Get to work, bring order. Subdue what I have created. Then he goes on and says, and have dominion. That means lead, rule. Did you know you were designed to be a ruler? You were designed to be a king and queen? All y'all. You were designed for this. You were designed to be a leader in whatever sphere, maybe a different sphere, but many of us see leadership as we got a, this kind of something. You lead. I promise you, God's intent was that you would uh, bring order and that you would lead in the sphere that he's placed you. You were allowed to step out as a king and queen. You were designed for it. Lead or rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So God's design for work for us, remember, number one, his design was that you would bring order and two, that you would lead or that you would rule. God's original design for work is for the benefit of creation. It's actually for the benefit of others. You're here to benefit the garden. You're here to benefit his creation. You're here to add to, not just to take away. Martin Luther, the father of the Reformation, helps us understand some of this. And it's, this is a fascinating picture that, that he painted. He saw that in the Psalms, in Psalm 136, he saw that it says that God feeds the city. I don't know about you, but have you ever seen God step down out of heaven and, and give some food to the city? Anybody? I wouldn't, anybody? I'm waiting for it. No? No? I haven't either. But that's what the psalm says, that God feeds the city. What does that mean? The second thing that he noticed was, in Psalm 147, it says that God makes the gates of the city secure. You may have seen God form a gate before. What is this, what is this allow, what does this show us? What does this teach us? What Martin Luther said was that God works through people. God works through me and you to bring order to the city. So when you actually step into bringing order or bringing life or giving back to, you've actually joined the hand of God's provision to the world. Let's follow the line of it for a second. Somebody plants the crop, right? And if that person plants, then somebody picks. And if somebody picks, then somebody transports. And when somebody transports, it goes to the store. Where they're in the store, it's organized on shelves. And as it's organized on shelves, guess who comes around the shelf to pick it up? Mom or dad? 
You or me, right? And when we pick it off, what do we do? We take it to the cash register and and there's a person there who helps us pay for our order. And as they pay for the order, we take it to the car, maybe somebody walks it to the car, and we get to the house and what happens? We prepare the food and we feed the family, right? But God feeds us the, the city. What if we understood this idea of what Martin Luther was saying? Did you know it would transform the way we see our world? Did you know it would eliminate classism? Did you know in Christianity we have no right to look down on anyone else because we understand that every person, every position is actually ordained or called by God? Did you know if the farmer never plants, I can never buy? Did you know if, the, if, if somebody doesn't pick it, then it can't get transported? Did you know if it doesn't get transported, then it doesn't make it to the store? If it doesn't make it to the store, guess who can't purchase it? The whole thing doesn't work anymore if we're not working by God's provision and power. But many of us don't understand this truth. We haven't yet joined the idea that God has actually called you where you are and understood the value of every single position. That's why some of us look down on the person who carries the mop in the broom. But I want to tell you, I live with a, a bunch of college guys at once upon a time, and if you don't clean up your house, you will die. <laughs> I promise you. Like, I walked into that bathroom, and I was like, no, y'all should be dead. Ladies, don't, don't trip. Like, y'all, y'all's are worse. <laughs> oh, no. Is, it, is that anybody else's experience? In, like, anybody else? Like, you walked into a, you're like, no, not that, thank you, there's the two of us. Yeah, we're, we are. Not mine, of course, just my roommates, by the way. <laughs> but this idea of, of, uh, of class is, is not in our vocabulary because we understand that God has actually called everybody for a purpose. And their purpose was to bring order. And we understand the value of every single person in that order. So maybe, maybe you're a mom and you struggle to understand what it's like when you're cleaning the house or when you're bringing order to the house or when you're having to slave over the food and you're telling the kids to go to bed or not. You start thinking about when you understand that God feeds the city, what if you were God's hands and feet in your home to feed the city? What if you saw your life like that? What if you allowed this good news to transform the way you saw your job? Rather, instead of looking for favor because of your job, you're, you're operating in your job from favor. And it begins to transform everything that you do. And it goes far beyond just being a mom, but it goes into whatever avenue of life that you are actually working. It, this truth will transform your work, whatever it is. Because some of us, our work, we're miserable in our work because we feel that maybe it's beneath us or we didn't measure up or we're not accomplishing anything. But I want to tell you, if you really understand what the scriptures say is that God is providing for everyone, you can join him right where you are. And instead of sucking life from the situation, you can bring life into the situation because life has been brought to you. This is the freedom that we have inside of work. The Thessalonians understood this. And so they were turning the world upside down because their faith stepped into their work sphere. And it begins to transform everything they think about work. In chapter four, he says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Make it your ambition. This is the thing we're striving for, right? Anybody striving to lead a quiet life? Now I'm trying to make moves, you know? Come on. 
Come on, Paul, that's boring. You should mind your own business and work with your hands. Just as we told you, so that your daily life, here's, so you put your faith into practice wherever you are, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders. So he's not, he's not talking about don't, don't aim high, don't, don't go for something that you want to set a goal for. He's not saying don't be goal. That's not at all what he's saying. He's saying what God has placed on your heart to bring order in whatever sphere he's called you to bring order. And as you do, man, you can live a quiet life. And it's not about you at all. It's about bringing life. So when you bring life, guess what happens? Everyone looks at you and goes, why don't you care about your kingdom you're building? Why is this not about you? Because if you have not received the gospel, all you have is you. All you have is the kingdom that you're trying to build. And if that's you, what you're going to find in your life is you're going to find that you're tired, you're exhausted, it wears you out, and you, you struggle to maintain the facade that you're trying to put on. It just becomes an act or a show, and you, you find yourself miserable. You don't know why. I promise you the gospel will free you from all that. When you understand that he's placed you, he's given you favor right now, and you can operate from favor, not for favor. It's life, and it's freedom. The second thing that I want to talk about from, so we, we talked about number one, uh, what, what does this look like? Number one, we talked about, where is this? God's design of work, sorry. I'm losing my mind. Number two, I want to press in from God's design. So that's God's design that we would bring order. And the second thing is uh, God, the, the brokenness of work. When brokenness entered the world, that's when things broke apart, when we started receiving the curses. Many of us might see work as the curse, and what Genesis says, that is actually not the case. Many of us might think, well, I wouldn't have to go to work if I had a stupid Adam and Eve hadn't eaten a stupid tree, you know? I'll be living the dream on vacation 24-7. Like, not really what the scripture was saying. He was saying, hey, I want you guys to work. But what happened was when they decided that they didn't want to be a part of God's kingdom, they want to be a part of theirs, a curse entered, and the curse was thorns and thistles actually began to grow up in the middle of them having to do their work. Would anybody not love to go to work and not have a problem to deal with? Oh my, I would actually, I would really, work would be so enjoyable. We'll go to, I'd like to not deal with people's problems 24-7. Anybody would just love that? You walk up with the, the co-workers, just a negative Nancy 24-7, you'd be like, you're dragging me down, man. Like, come on now. But it's the same story. It's like Groundhog Day. Anybody just love to go to a perfect place of work? This is the idea when they begin to, instead of be a part of God's original design, they stepped out of purpose and started saying, I want to take life. I don't want to be a part of giving it. I want this to be about me. And what began to happen is you'll find that when people step into it's about me, their life produces thorns and thistles. It's not producing anything of value for the people around them. And it's not nourishing people, it's taking from them. And it's kind of painful. And it's the natural way, it's human nature. We don't, we don't want to be around that. But see, as a believer, guys, we understand this and we can press into the problem instead of press away from it. See, when we see somebody's life producing thorns and thistles, we understand what can actually heal them. We understand what could actually make them a fruitful person. So you know what we do? 
We don't do what the world does. We don't press away when we see negative people. We actually be able to press in. And you don't have to drag me down because my goodness or my life doesn't come from you. It actually comes from him. And so now guess what? It transforms our workplace. Think about that for a second. In your workplace, everybody's talking about the person who's negative, right? But what if we were the people who actually didn't have to talk about them? We're like, no, no, we good. We, I, I know what's, let's step into that, you know? What would happen in the culture of your workplace when that happened? I promise you, everybody's going to look at you and be like, what is up with you? Who are you, alien? You know what I mean? Like, what in the world? You're different. That's exactly what was happening in Thessalonica. They were pressing in instead of out. And they were pressing out instead of in in times where everybody else was doing the exact opposite because it was natural. Because they were living according to the broken way. They were looking to draw life from instead of give life to. But you can't give any life unless you've received it. You can't actually bring life, bring order, unless order and life has been brought to you. Paul continues and he encourages the church through this. First Thessalonians 4, 3 and 5, he says, this is God's will that you should be sanctified. That means set apart. Like God actually desires you to be set apart from everything else. You got a different purpose than everybody. You know that? You, you can live differently. That you should avoid sexual immorality. All through the New Testament, he's talking about this. You know why he's talking about this? Because, man, this is a vice that controls us. Once you step into this space, it can be very challenging to step out because it was designed to actually cause two people to come together and actually see past flaws. So what happens when you, when you step into sexual morality, you can't think straight. You can't think. And so he warns, gives a strong warning. He says, don't step into this because it can control you. You can get stuck in this. You can become a prisoner. And I want to encourage you, if, if, that, if you're sitting there and you're like, oh, man. If that's you today, which probably is many of us, okay, I want to encourage you, a part of the church, I want you to step into the light. This is what's going to bring healing. Let people around you understand the challenge that you're facing. Don't face that alone. That's why God has designed us to be able to walk together in community. That's why he continues, and he says, avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn how to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. So here's the deal. Give grace as we learn. Come on. We're going to learn together. And so I'm not expecting you to be perfect. But can we learn together how to control ourselves? He presses on and he says, in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans. That word passionate, the, the Greek word is a super, if you like this stuff, the, the Greek word is epithumia. And it's this idea of a thermometer. You, you know in the thermometer, when, uh, when things heat up, the, the contents of a thermometer rise, correct? Epithumia is this idea where it rises to the point of of, of boiling, but it can't be contained any longer and it explodes. And upon explosion, there's no control over it. So it's this idea that, hey guys, we're going to learn to control ourselves because we don't want to have an over-desire that we cannot control. And so in order to actually live this controlled experience or this truth to be lived out, we need each other. 
You've got to walk with other people or else you'll find yourself by yourself struggling alone and you'll go, this is too, this is too much. I can't do it by myself. That is not his design for us, but we were meant to learn alongside of each other so that we could actually walk into God's design, back into his design for our life, to bring life versus draw from life. So some of us got to get some healing before we can bring healing. So the first step of healing, step into light and understand that, hey, what can we do to heal ourselves today? Which leads us into the third thing, the healing of work. What can bring healing? What can actually heal us from this? I have a good test for us today. To discern if maybe something has taken on a space in your life that it shouldn't. Think about one thing. If, if there's, is there something in your life today that if you were to lose it, your world would crumble apart? I mean, you would maybe potentially want to die if you lost this thing. Is there something in your life like that? I mean, if I'm, if I'm honest, if I really allow myself to get brutally honest with myself, there probably is a couple things that are a little bit out of balance in my life that are a little bit broken, that I look for love in this place or I look for affection or I look for acceptance. What is that thing? in your life today? What can we do about that thing, the affection of our heart needing to shift? Sin isn't only doing bad things. It's more fundamentally making good things the ultimate thing. Just think about that for a second. Sin isn't just bad things. It's sometimes making good things the ultimate thing or the thing that we look for life in. Sin is building your life and meaning on anything, even a very good thing, more than on God. Whatever we build our life on will drive us and enslave us. Sin is primarily idolatry. In Tim Keller's book, The Reason for God, he writes this. He says, if you center your life and identity on your spouse or your partner... You'll be emotionally dependent. You'll be jealous and controlling. The other person's problems will be overwhelming to you. If you center your life and identity on your family and your children, you will try to live your life through your children until they resent you or have no self of their own. At worst, you may abuse them when they displease you. If you center your life and identity on your work and your career, you will be a driven workaholic and boring, that's what he says. You're going to be a shallow person, not much about you, not much to talk about. At worst, you will lose family and friends, and if your career goes poorly, you're going to develop depression, maybe. If you center your life and identity on money and possessions, you'll be eaten up by worry and jealousy about money. You'll be willing to do unethical things to maintain your lifestyle, which will eventually blow up in your face. I read in Vanity Fair, uh, um, Robin Williams, makeup artist. This is what she said about Robin Williams. She said, it's like he didn't worry about anything when he worked all the time. He operated on working. That was the true love of his life. Above his children, above everything. If he wasn't working, he was a shell of himself, she said. And when he worked... It was like a light bulb was turned on. 
He found identity in that place. He found that work was this place where he could draw life from instead of bring life to. It looked on the outside like he was given life, right? But it was self-centered. And so do you know what it was producing in his life? Thorns and thistles. Only he knew it. He would never tell you that probably. But it was producing this thing in him that caused more and more turmoil inside. Because he wasn't drawing life from the true life source. How do we have healing? Some of you in this room, how do we continue to learn what healing looks like in our life and receive more and more healing? How? We've got to keep receiving what the Thessalonians were receiving. You see, here's the healing of work. I can't work myself out of the darkness. I cannot. I can't bring healing to my life. But do you know who bore the thorns and thistles for you? Do you know the man who took a crown of thorns on his head as the full weight of penalty that you and I both deserve for doing this very thing? For setting up shop, setting up a kingdom that isn't God's, but it's mine. For reaping every bit of benefit and curse from this life. It looks like the way of freedom, but it's the way of death. But Christ, but God, but God, calls us into this brand new kind of life, this thing that brings life, gives you life, gives you the power to actually move in God's direction to bring life, is to receive the fact that you can't actually make yourself better, but Christ says, I will take all of the thorns and thistles for you. Come to me and I will make you better. I'll call you right. I'll say you're mine. Here's what they understood. 1 Thessalonians 1, 9 through 10. Paul says, you turn to God from idols to serve, to give back after you've received the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath of God. Here's the deal. God is coming back to make everything right. And all the thorns and thistles that have been a problem and pain in your life from other people, you know God's gonna come make that right? He's not coming as this humble servant, but a conquering king. That's what the scripture says. And I don't know about you, but I have lived and still do live sometimes on the, on the side of darkness. I want my kingdom, man. I don't want yours. I'm fighting against yours because mine's more important. And unless God save me, unless God give me the grace that I can't work myself out of the hole, unless God do something, I'm, I'm in big trouble. And so the scripture says, here's the good news. You can come to him and he made a way for you. He worked for you so that he could transform the way you work now. And you can wait with great anticipation and excitement that God's coming back. I don't got to worry about him coming back. I'm excited he's coming back. But you know what that transforms my life to understand the people whose lives produce thorns and thistles? I can press in, not out. I can step right into their mess and I go, hey, but let me give you the medicine. Let me tell you what really heals. Let me tell you what healed my heart. And then watch, watch guys, how 2020, I promise you, revival could sweep around this city. But many of us are looking for God to do something emotional and move in this orb of power that, yes, sure, receive it. Receive good news today and then go use it. That's when the revival spreads outside the walls of the church. But we have to say, I receive it. I take your good news. 
And you know what? Transform my work. Transform my 2020. Transform my idea of where I work, of my platform, of my home, of what I do every single day. And come back into the idea. Do you know what? God is using you to restore this world. God is using you for good news. God is using you for good things. And you can actually join him today. Right where you are, I want to bring us into a time of just committing 2020. And if this is you, I don't know about you, but I, I, gotta st- I need to step in. I want to step in further into God's work for my life, God's designed work. Would you hand over your sphere where you work today? Whatever that is, maybe you don't got a job, maybe it's wherever you go, uh, that God is supplying needs through you today. You can actually hand over your expectation of work to Him. Would you, in, would you receive God's invitation today to work with him. Would you tell him what you expect in 2020? Now hand over your expectations to him. now based upon this good news we know the two things that God has actually designed us to step in and work he designed you to bring order he designed you to bring life (laughs) and he designed you to lead the way the thing that brings life is the good news of Jesus Mike 2020 be an experience of the good news of Jesus as we walk this out in obedience. And I promise you, there will be breakthrough in our city as every single one of us goes to different spaces and places. Father, here's our prayer today. Would you use us in 2020? God, would you transform our city? God, we're we're inviting you to revive not just our city, but us. And God, as you revive us and give us purpose in our lives, God, I I know, I know, I know that you will move in mighty power in every place that we work and go, in our home, in our families, our coworkers and friends. Everything will be transformed when we receive and step into our design purpose. And we pray this and invite you to do that in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Hey, if you, if that's you, if that's your heart, and you say, hey God, as as a step of saying like, That's me. I want you to use me. Would you stand where you are and just be like, hey, 2020, here I come. God, use me in 2020. And as we sing today, would you you stand in response to this truth saying, God, use me in 2020. Here's my work. Here's my efforts. Stand with us if that's you, and we'll sing together. There's going to be breakthrough.